And so we the Church of Christ, and we don't believe we're going to be a church. I'm sorry, you're in the wrong position. We had this discussion. They don't have the music. And they think they're going when it's music. Well, good morning. I trust you all had a great Thanksgiving. Oh, there he is. Yeah. I uh, normally don't think I need a mic, but I've had a throat problem, as you can tell. But speaking real clear, this might help us. And I have a tendency to wander. So if I don't have the other mic with me, I'm apt to walk away from this one. And you won't know what I'm saying. Some of you might say, that's a good thing. Uh, well, good morning. I'm glad to see you're all here. It's a busy week for many of us. And uh, I know a lot of us were traveling. We just had to say goodbye to Emily and Michael, uh, Scott's middle daughter and her husband. They went home. They drove back this morning, back up to Portland. That's one of the hardest things you have to do. They love getting together and loving each other and having a fun time and eating and whatnot. And, me and my wife always used to say, then you got to say goodbye. Not easy. Yeah. Well, uh, as you probably know, I'm not Scotty. You know who he is. He's, he's right there, by the way. <laughs> he's, taking, he's taking a little bit of a vacation, uh, which he's well-deserved. By the way, Scotty, I want to say uh, what I have an opportunity. I really enjoy your class. I, uh, I really think that if we really truly want to know God's word, it takes work. And... Uh, Sometimes people go, well, he's going real slow. <laughs> but you know something? I was an educator at one time. I taught in public schools. And if you don't learn it, what good is it? What, what, really, what good does it do you if you don't learn it? And for most of us, if you know the statistics, and I don't remember, I remember that during your lifetime, you only remember 3% of what you learned. I remember that statistic. But I don't know the rest, but it's like you only have like 30% up to so many months and then 10%. And so... To rehash that, to rethink that is extremely important because we don't ever want to forget what God's commanded us to do in life. And so that, that's good. God does a great job. And I commend him for that. By the way, Scripture tells us to give honor where honor is due. And a man works hard, he studies. We should let him know that we appreciate it. Um, nothing worse for you ladies, as an example, to cook all day like you did for Thanksgiving. Everybody rushes in, sit down. <laughs> 15 minutes later, it's gone, and then you got the dishes. I mean, there's nothing worse than that. Yeah, see, I, the labor is much appreciated. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some things that might be slightly different. I, I have a different technique about myself that God has given me over the years, and so I don't, I don't follow any rhyme or reason sometimes. Uh, most people that I know say it's good. I used to be accused of talking way too fast. I've slowed down. I don't know how much, but a little bit. And I, I used to have people say to me, well, I think you ought to do this. I think you ought to do that. You know, if you're doing something incorrectly, I agree with that statement. But a lot of times people say those kind of things because they don't like what you're doing. It has nothing to do with you doing right before the Lord. It has to do with them not liking what you're saying. And so I would just to do it. If you have any problems with what I say, always come to me. Be more gracious to say, I'm sorry. You may have to convince me, though. I'm not going to say I'm sorry just because you think I'm wrong. <laughs> Scripture is what's right, not me or not you. So that's that's the thing. But 
Yeah, so I, I can approach things a little bit differently. Um, my son, as you know, being your pastor and Scotty, uh, they love to write things down and give handouts. All that. That's wonderful. I love that. My brain does not work that way, and I'm very serious. I can speak it pretty well. I had one time when I preached, my son came to me uh, when we were up in Portland, and one of the people, we were visiting, we came down from Alaska, but one of the people in the audience said to my son, can you get your dad's notes for me? I said, son, I'd be glad to give you those notes, but if they can make sense of my notes, good luck. Because it's, it's really tough. My wife would tell you, she, when I used to do college and I did graduate, I have a BA degree, obviously. Uh, she would type my notes out. And the first thing she says, what does this mean? That's a run on sentence. You can't do this. And then she'd type it out. And I'd say, well, this is what I want to say, which I could say it real good. And then she'd type it out. It was, it was amazing. She was very good to me. It's the best thing that ever happened to me, as a matter of fact. So besides salvation. So we're going we're gonna to be looking at a couple uh, books in the Old Testament the next couple weeks. And the first question I want to ask you is uh, how many in this class really think that the book of Ecclesiastic is the best book in the Bible? You really love it. <laughs> They're just what I thought, by the way. I'm not shocked. Now, for those out in, in, in the video land, not one hand went up. And there are many people out there, not one, you know, nine, none, dictionary, eight, none. And, and I don't blame them in a way, but why do we feel that way about the book of Ecclesiastes? If we feel that way, what do we have to do? We're not apt to read it very often, right? If we read it at all. And I hope that you are reading it. I want to say to you, I realize that everything in God's word is extremely important. There's no doubt about it. But this book is really important. I can't emphasize that enough. Because it's a way that our life can be adjusted towards what God wants in our life so we won't have very many conflicts and difficulties. Remember when I talked about the circle and Satan being on a chain and I said we get in that circle and we get beat up and then we turn around and go, God, why are you doing this to me? Well, why do you win in the circle? He's only got such far reach, and that's it. God's limited him. And yet we're, pardon the language, we're dumb enough to go in there and get gobbled up. We can't figure it out. Come out all ripped up and hacked up and chewed on, and we say, I don't understand. Well, you got to understand enough to think when God tells you something, you need to do it. And the book of uh, Ecclesiastes is sort of that way. Now, I want to give you a couple of helps that will help you, I think, with your study. I don't know if Pastor's ever done this since he's been here, or if Scotty has, for example. Something I was taught many years ago. Now, I, I have been to Bible school, believe it or not. It took about a year and a half, just enough to make me dangerous, just enough to know how to use a concordance, just enough to know that I didn't like Greek and Hebrew. I took one semester of each, but I saw how necessary it was. You realize the Greek language is the most precise language in the world? There's a reason why God chose it to be used in the New Testament. It's pretty hard when you understand the language and you come to God with an open mind and you really want to know the truth to misunderstand what's going on. Only if you have a prejudice can you do that. So it's very important stuff. So I learned enough to know that you need it, but and I learned the skills of looking things up in concordance, etc. But that's about it. I don't claim to be a scholar on that either. But let me give you a couple of self-help that might help you. It's helped me over the years that it has been given to me. But I don't know if I have them all. Pastor might want to go over these or Scotty one day, maybe do a class on it. 
teach this, this because this is very important when I'm going to give you. First of all, we want to look at the Bible literally. The Bible is not something we just interpret our own way. It's literal. It's from God. There's only one interpretation for it. All right. Secondly, we want to look at it historically. History makes a big play on what how things turn out when we look at Scripture. And obviously, there's a lot of things that are very modern today that weren't back when, say, for example, when Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. He didn't have jet planes. He didn't have a cell phone. And I know a lot of people say that about the Bible. The Bible is outdated. It doesn't work today. They're so wrong, you can't believe it. It never changes. We change. The circumstances change. The dates change. But the truth never changes. It's always applicable to every time period in history. It's just that we don't learn that. So history, uh, historical part is it. So what is the historical part? Well, the historical part is see an accurate, ac accurate picture of time that, that God wants us to see according to the events that happened at that time period. All right, culturally, this is one thing I learned from my son. I knew about this one. I mean, people told me you want to look at the scripture through a cultural aspect. But, you know, the thing is, is that I didn't realize how much that meant it until we went to Mongolia. You go to a different culture. I mean, if you want to go to, and I know there's other ones, but man, Mongolians, it's a different culture. Believe me. What they think and why they think that way is totally different than everything you see on the other part of the planet. Very different. So we need to look at things according to what culture is, all right? The ideas and customs and uh, the social behavior that is of that time period is very important. For example, just an example one, marriage. The marriage that happened during the time of Christ is nothing absolutely unequivocally nothing like the marriages that we see today so when we talk about the, uh, the when christ came and changed the water to wine and all that stuff that marriage is very important to understand what's going on to understand what christ was doing sometimes we just say oh marriage and i'm thinking about you know i run off to las vegas and i get married that's not what they did in those days all right taking it in context what does that mean you've heard that many times it means whatever we're reading should agree with concur with what's around it and even more than that should agree and concur and concur with everything that the total scripture says if it doesn't something's wrong god does not make mistakes it all fits together we just don't understand it now, i'm not saying that as an escape some people when you talk to them not say to them well that's just your way of explaining it away no it is not it's the truth okay and then grammar grammatically you know grammar is very important and me, I could butcher grammar like you can't believe. <laughs> I just told you I could run on and all kinds of stuff. And sometimes we have a tendency when we read God's Word to do those kind of things, and we don't come up with the right uh, definition or answer that we need. All right? So we want to watch out. Interpretation is so important. Let me first say, Scripture says very clear, clearly in Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, that interpretation is not of man. It's of the Holy Spirit. So that should tell you something right away if you're, if you're really a studious person of the Bible. A non-believing person comes to you and says, I think you're wrong. Here's what I think the Bible says. What, what do you know automatically? <coughs> you know he can't be right. or If he is, it's, it's, it's a miracle. And you say, why? Because he doesn't have the Holy Spirit. He can't interpret Scripture right. That's what 1 Corinthians tells us. It's spiritually discerned. He can't discern what's spiritual if he's not spiritual. Just remember that as well. Illumination is another good thing we need to know about. That's one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit, to illuminate us, to enlighten us about what God really wants us to know and understand in the Word. 
And we can't do that without the Holy Spirit either. So if you're not saved, you're not going to say, you say, how do people get saved? God says in Scripture, He gives them enough that they know what Christ is and salvation is, and they can get saved. Once they get saved, they need to study to understand what God wants in their life. Same with all of us. Now, a lot of us are getting a lot older, like me, and we've been around a long time, and so we know these things. It comes coming natural. But think about the new Christian who just comes into the church. They don't know anything. They're babes. That's why it's our important job to disciple them, to see them grow in the Word. Sometimes it's more than just having a Bible study. Sometimes it's putting your life in it. What did Christ do for three and a half years with a disciple? He just didn't come once a week and say, Hey, let's have a Bible study. <laughs> he lived with them. He breathed with them. He walked with them. He taught them everything they knew when it comes to that. And what was amazing is when they're in the books of Acts, when, when the Pharisees were challenging the, the disciples, they said what? These men are ignorant, but they appear to be what? Very intelligent when it comes to spiritual things. And they said he, they can tell you walked with Christ. What a difference it makes when we put a life into somebody. Sometimes it's disappointing to understand that. You still got to keep doing it. Okay, one of the other things we need to do is remember when we come to the Word of God, we need to come with an open mind. I don't mean open like the world thinks open. Not the open mind I'm talking about. Where you just let everything come in and okay, we just do whatever we want to do. I'm talking about not having a prejudice or an opinion about what Scripture said. Because when that prejudice comes away, we're going to interpret what we're reading here and we're not allow the Spirit to work with us. So that's very important. Now, I said all those things. I have a little cheat sheet that I've went off of there. I said all those things because you can you can go into the Scripture and you can conjure up anything you want to if the Spirit's not leading you. You can tell people, oh, this, that, no, we've had it happen. We had a lady who was having trouble with her husband and came to us about, about advice. And we weren't the only ones. She went to many people. And... I, I'm going to say, she gave us a number, I don't remember, I'm at 16, 13, different godly men she came to, including me and my wife, my wife not being a man, but being my wife and not as a man she's talking to, and she said, here's what their advice was, which is the same thing me and my wife gave her, but one out of one out of 13 or 16 said something different, and guess what she said? I'm going with that person there. And why do you think she wanted to go with that person there? Because that's the way she really felt herself. The other godly men meant nothing to her. So why did you seek counsel? You may say, well, maybe that guy was right. And he might have been, but I, I don't think so, by the way. But because if I told you the story and we don't have time this morning, you'd know she wasn't right. But she wanted to think that way. So that's where she went. That's what we do sometimes if we use commentaries. I'm a fond uh, fan of McGee. I, I love McGee's writings. I think he's right on. I would disagree with a few things that he writes, but very few. He's down to earth, he's understandable, etc., etc. But he's not the Bible. That's now, I'm going to read on him this morning, just like Brother uh, Scotty does. You, you want to quote people because they can say it better than you. Um, and, and especially when it comes to something written down, I don't do a very good job of that. So we want to we, 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 we make sure that we understand whoever we're reading is in congruency or in the same vein as the Bible. Otherwise, chuck it. That was another thing that this lady said one time. She said she used to go online. She'd get all these wacko people, I mean seriously, who claim they're born-again believers. And I'd say to her, if they said one thing is anti-Bible that is not in God's word, I shut them off. I turn them off. I get rid of them. Why? 
They're impregnating your mind with things that are wrong. That's why. That's indoctrination. That's what they're doing in our school system today. Look at our society. Frightening. And for a Christian to go and look at other people's writings and stuff that are not in biblical standings with God's word is just as heretical. We need to be very careful. Okay? You need to challenge me if you hear me say something. The Bereans went and they searched the scriptures. They wanted to see if it was really true. And when they found out it was true, guess what the word says? We might look at that scripture this morning. I have that in my notes somewhere. They said, we agree and we believe. And the scripture says, many believe because it was true. So now when we look at Ecclesiastes, I'm saying all that for a reason. You get to Ecclesiastes and everybody gets these different weird ideas about what they think it says and what it means. And you, and you hear people, matter of fact, what's the one word if you've ever talked to somebody about Ecclesiastes, they say about that book they don't like? Names. Who said what? Names. What'd she say, sir? Names. She said names. Names, she said. Okay. I still don't hear what you have, even though you guys are telling me. I, you know, I have problems with my hair. But here's what I want to say. I want to just say it so we can get it over with. They say it's depressing. It is depressing to read Ecclesiastes. Well, why would it be depressing if we know what God wants in our life? It's only depressing because we don't understand what's in the book. May I politely say that to you? Believe it or not, I'm just not really understanding Ecclesiastes a little bit better in my life because I've decided to read a lot of the Old Testament books that I never read before. Or I shouldn't say never read before, but I mean, you know, casual reading, cursive, just kind of read through it. It goes in one ear and kind of out the other. It doesn't stick because we're not ready to accept it. And I'm going to be 75 years old here pretty soon. I'm just getting around with some of this stuff to my shame, not to my glory, believe me. So we think to ourselves, well, why is that book depressing? Because what is one, one word he uses over and over again? Matter of fact, I think it's used 39 times in that 12th chapter. What's the word? Vanity. Vanity, Scotty. Thank you. Very good, man. Vanity. And, and what does vanity mean? Well, let me give you a definition of vanity, both biblical and through a regular or secular dictionary. Vanity is the quality of being worthless, futile, empty, without purpose, meaningless. Now, if that's not negative, what, what is? None of us like to think that way, do we? But that's not the important part. That's not the key to what Ecclesiastes is all about. It's just demonstrating what life is when we leave God out of it. And that's what Solomon did. Just remember that. So when we look at the book of Ecclesiastes, it may not be one of our favorite books, but it's a critical part of God's word that we need to, to study and understand in order to help us. Because we've got to live our lives to the end. And for me, for example, just hypothetically, I've already passed what man, quote unquote, tells me my age would be and in, 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 in live the average age. I, last time I heard it was 73 and a half, and I passed that. Okay? So... I still got a lot to go, I hope. I think the Lord's going to leave me around for a while. I have my problems like a lot of us with this age, but I'm still here. And I want to serve God to the best of my ability. I can't do that if I don't know what God has in store for me, what he wants, what his will and his plan is for my life. It's not possible. So let me, let me, let me give you another thing I want to say. I want to, I want to give you a couple of things. Turn with me to uh, Proverbs 18. Just, just if you're in Ecclesiastes, but just keep your finger there. But turn with me to, to Proverbs chapter 18, verse 13 for a second. 
few few pages back. Notice there in, in Proverbs 18, 13, it says, He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is a fallen and shame to him. You know, we have a tendency, including myself, if before we hear the whole matter, before somebody can tell us the whole thing, we want to tell them what we think about it, or we want to tell them that they're wrong, or whatever it is. God says that's to our shame. That's falling. That's not good, in other words. We need to hear it all. Now, the reason I'm saying that is I'm going to give you a, 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 an illustration in a minute, and I can just see eyes lighting up, and before you run me out of town on a on tar and feather me on a rail, and out I go and call me a heretic, you need to pay attention. And I, I, this came to me many years ago, and I've used it many times, because actually I want to shock you into realizing how you think. So let me, let me give you this statement. Remember that Paul talks about the fact that he teaches the whole counsel of God. So we need to know all of God's word. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us all scripture is profitable. All right. And so giving you all those things, let me give you the illustration. If I was to say to you that the Bible is full of lies, what would you think? Now, I kind of I kind of keyed you up and kind of warned you. Wrong. What would you think? You're wrong. Yeah. Richard's saying the right thing. Most people would say, I am wrong. Richard, I am right. Now, help me explain why. I will do it by giving you a series of things you want to say. Now, remember I said, the Bible is full of lies. I did not say the Bible lies. Now, let me read a couple things to you. Did not Satan lie to Eve in the garden and give her half truths? Yeah. That's a lie. Did not Joseph's brother tell the father alive about what happened to Joseph, how he died, uh, the coat of many colors with blood on it when they shipped him off to Egypt in slavery? They lied. Did not Abraham, when he entered the foreign land and talked to the king, lie about his wife because he's afraid that they would kill him and take his wife? She was so beautiful. He said he was his, she was his sister, not his wife. That's a lie. Right? Did not Peter deny Christ three times and he lied about his relationship with Christ when he had, when he had taken Christ from the garden and, and took him to the tribunal to, to judge him? He did, to his shame. It's, it's a wonder that Peter probably didn't even kill himself if you really stop and think about it. He knew that was, he couldn't believe it. He shook his head and laid his head down and walked off in shame. Okay, he lied though. Okay, did not Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5 lie about what they did with the property, the amount of money they gave the church? They not only lied to the disciples, they lied to the spirit. And they were struck dead immediately. You know, if God did that today, how many of us would be around? <laughs> I mean, seriously. You know, God doesn't work that way anymore. Thank, praise the Lord that he has mercy today for us. So that's my point. We come sometimes to Scripture with a prejudice, and we think in our mind that we know more than God does. Man's been thinking that since time began. And look where we're at today. Everybody says, oh, we're way better off than we've ever been. I've been around 75 years. I don't know where they get that statement. That's about as big a lie as you're ever going to see. You know, when I was in public education, they... they in, in the state of Oregon, where I taught, I was educated in California, but I taught in Oregon my first teacher. Well, actually, not my first teacher, you know, my major one. I was only eight, eight years, folks, I got out of it. All right. No, I said, you have better things to do than that. Although there's good teachers need to be there. Uh, yeah, they used to say, uh, when they wanted to pass the, uh, the uh, different measures for taxes for the school system, they say to us teachers, 
Now you want to think this way. You want to tell people, we just need a little more time for education, they're saying. A little bit more money, which in most cases for the United States, a lot more money, tax money they're talking about. And just a little bit more education, and we can change everything. Just remind them of that. Well, you know what? This country spends more money than any country in the whole wide world per student. And we're about as dumb as they come. Why? Because that isn't the answer. Actually, the United States and the world itself is, has, has thrown out, gotten rid of, or tried to. They're working real hard in the United States right now to get, get rid of the real answer. What is the answer? The Lord Jesus Christ. The world will tell us that Christ is a crutch. We have to lean on him to have any kind of feelings in our life. No, let me tell you very plainly, straightforward. Christ is the answer. They don't have the answer. We do. Now, I'm not saying that, oh, I have the answer, you don't. I'm saying it's our responsibility to show them what the answer is. Christ is the answer. He's not a crutch. He's God. He's the one who made everything. He's the one who makes everything run. Matter of fact, take, take a look in... in uh, Colossians chapter 1 for a second with me. Run over there. I don't want to run us around too much. But all this I'm saying is prep to the book, you can tell. You're probably thinking, when are they ever going to quit? Well, it's all super important because if we don't get things straight in our mind to start with, we're in big trouble. You can't start off on the wrong foot and get it right. You have to start out right to begin with. Colossians chapter 1. I think I'm looking for verse 15 and 16. Yes. Actually, I'm looking more for 16 and pardon me, 17. Notice it says there, for, for by him, it's talking about Christ now, were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or domain or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Now, we all agree with that, do we not? God created everything we see. But notice what it says in the second part, something we may not think about too often. And this is why meditation is so important when you look at God's word. He says, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. You know what that word consist means? It has the eye. Hands together. Say it again. Hands together. Hands together. Well, yeah. Time together. Oh. Yeah. What it means. What it means is. Yeah. What it means is God is a glue, is a catalyst that keeps everything together. All God has to do is give the word, and everything would go into oblivion. It's by His great power that it's even held together. We forget that. You know, it's amazing because man thinks education is so important, and education is important, by the way. I'm not trying to belittle it, but the way they think about it, it's like it's gone. Science is now God. It's not. You have people say, well, look at the great things. I worked at a hospital for almost 30 years. I've seen great things happen. We've come a long way when it comes to medicine. MRIs, all those things you think of that came about when I was working at the hospital. I used to build the different rooms and stuff for those things to be installed in. I've seen them. I've seen them start them up, how they work, the testing. It's amazing stuff. But think about it this way. Where did all this stuff come from that made that stuff? When you can show me that man can take nothing out of when the scripture says in, in Genesis void, which you may say, well, it's a vacuum. We don't even know if it is a vacuum. It's just nothing there, period. 
We can't comprehend that. God took that nothing and he created everything we see. I haven't seen man create a star yet. I haven't seen man create any kind of a universe yet. I haven't seen man create gravity keep us on this earth and floating away. What man does is he takes what God's already created, he manipulates it, massages it, and he says, look what I made. We're so great. God, we know more than you do. How ignorant is that? When you really stop and think about the truth of it. Yeah. I used to really get bothered as a teacher, hearing some of these teachers talk. And also when I worked, worked in the hospital, one of the jobs, I was a maintenance carpenter. Actually, I started out as a, as a cabinet maker, and then they made me a maintenance carpenter, a life safety engineer. But there was a period of time where I just went around and I installed and fixed things throughout the hospital. And a lot of times I got called to go into a new doctor's office, brand new to the hospital, and put up all of these plaques, all of his certificates. They give me a diagram. They might, I'm, I'm going to exaggerate a little bit, but some of them were this bad. 30 or 40 different certificates and diagrams and conferences he's been to. And they almost always, their desk would be here where I'm at. They'd sit here and you're, you'd be over there when they counsel you. And on this wall over here, that whole wall would be full of all this stuff. You know why? He wanted to show everybody how great he was. Who gave him the ability to think? God. If he's a surgeon, who gave him the ability to do the surgical stuff he could do? It was God. Man's forgotten that. Yeah. Man thinks he knows everything. Well, let's let's get on with, with the book. If we don't, we'll never get there and we're going to run out of time. We don't want to do that. <laughs> Very important for us to see what's going on here. We need to ask ourselves, what kind of a man was Solomon? Well, think about it. If ever, and you have to keep forgiving me, I'm getting dry mouth. I sometimes get caught in mouth when I'm talking. You wouldn't want that because nothing would come out if that happens. Or maybe you would like to have my wife. <laughs> That'd be good. But what kind of a man was Solomon? He's the writer of this book. Well, he, if there ever was a man that was born with a silver spoon in his mouth, it was Solomon. Somebody said a while back, and I asked Pastor, and he can't remember, he remembers it being said to one of our speakers, our guest speakers, and he's right, by the way, said that Solomon was the first trillionaire the world has ever seen. He was. He was the richest man on this planet, and I think he'd probably be the richest man there's ever going to be, because I don't think this planet has too much longer. I don't think Jeff, baby, and those people from Amazon and other people like him are going to catch up ever. This man had all the riches in the world. He had prestige. He had position. His dad gave him the kingship, and his dad could have chose so many sons, as you know, if you read the scripture, he chose Solomon. Now, Solomon, in a lot of ways, was a good man. He started out real good in a lot of ways. Well, boy, he turned out rotten. And that's what the book of Ecclesiastes is all about. So what do we know about Solomon? He asked God for a gift. He did. What gift did he ask for? And he received it. He wisdom. did. Wisdom. Wisdom. And that's, other, and that's one thing I have written down we need to talk about. Uh, so we'll do it now, since you brought it up. <laughs> Sorry. You're at, no, no, no. You're absolutely right. I want, I want to see if you're thinking. I used to tell my students, you know, if you don't ask questions, you don't know. And don't be afraid to say or ask something because you never know if you're right or wrong. And that's how you learn. She's right. Wisdom. But there's something about that kind of wisdom that people don't quite understand. Turn with me to, uh, and she's taking me out of sequence here, but that's okay. Turn with me to, uh, let's see, where's that? I think it's in uh, Second Kings or First Kings. I'll find it here in a second. 
And it talks about the kind of wisdom that he asked for. First uh, Kings 3. First Kings 3. Turn there with me if you don't mind. And thank you, Esther. Not trying to make fun of you or anything. You're, you're absolutely right. That's a good point. I would have brought it up, but it would be later. But that's okay. We'll do it now. I'll give you a bad time later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and verse 7, it starts in chapter 3 of 1 Kings. It says, And now, O Lord my God, and this is, this is Solomon talking. Look back up there at verse 6 if you want to know. We're taking it in context. And he says, Thou hast made thy servant king instead of David, instead of uh, David, my father. Remember, his dad is dying, so not, he's not going to be around. So now uh, David's chosen Solomon to be the king, and it, it, with the Lord's blessing, God's blessing. I am but a little child. He was, he was spoiled. Read the scripture. He was just a little child. I know not how to go out or to come in. He's given everything. I mean, they do everything for him. He didn't know how to go in and out the door, he's saying, basically. That's how bad it is. And yet he's going to rule the kingdom, right? But he's smart enough, as Esther pointed out, to say, God, I need help. So he says, and thy servant in the, in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude, give therefore thy servant an understanding heart, listen to what he's asking for specifically, to judge thy people that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this like so great a people? So what kind of a what kind of a wisdom did he actually ask for? There's a lot of kinds of wisdom. What kind did he ask for? The, the kind to rule of people, the kind to govern. Sometimes we think the Solomon had wisdom of God. He did not. God is all knowing, all powerful. He knows everything, every kind of wisdom you could want to know. He knows. There's no one that has any clue of what's going on when it comes to God, except for God himself. We don't even understand 10% of what's in Scripture, let alone understand what the universe is all about. God's wisdom is far, far surpasses any. He didn't get that kind of wisdom, is my point. He got the wisdom to rule. Now you say, why is that so important? See, because he made a lot of blunders in his own personal life that affected him and his kingdom. But it wasn't when it came to wisdom and, and governing the people. When, when Sheba came from, from Africa to, to, to see him, what was she looking for? What, why did she bring riches and, and honor him, Solomon? Why did she do that? Helen, you're saying something? She, she wanted to see how wise he was. She'd heard all these things. Well, what, did, what did Solomon spend his time doing all the time? Besides judging people, he did that. He did, he did his job pretty good. But rather than concentrate on spiritual matters, what was he doing all this time? Scripture says that he liked a lot of wild animals. Now, some of them were brought to him for, as gifts, as, as people were bringing him tribute. But he liked peacocks, peacocks, apes, things like that. He was being entertained all the time. Now, is there anything wrong with entertainment? No. In the right perspective, in the right amount, it's perfectly all right. You want to watch a football game? I have no problem for that. Enjoy yourself watching football games. Do you sit there and watch football games uh, 24-7, 365? Then you might have a problem. So here's the point. You spend all this time doing stuff that was not really profitable. Could be if it was for relaxation for a short period. But he did it all the time. And as a, as a, as a matter of fact, what, what else did the guy do? What, what did God 
God say about horses, for example, when he came to Solomon? What does scripture tell us? He did not want his kings to what? To take horses on and race horses and have a lot of horses. He forbid them. Why did he do that? What is, what is a horse a sign of in scripture? This is where you have to have a little bit of intelligence about what scripture says. What, what is a horse? What, why did Jesus ride into Jerusalem at a triumphal entry on a donkey or an ass? Why did he do that? Why did kings in Jerusalem ride around on donkeys? They didn't have horses, couldn't afford one? What is a horse a symbol of, is what I'm saying? War. War. God says, I fight your wars. You don't need horses. I don't want you to have any. How many did he have? You know what scripture said? Well, he had a lot. <laughs> he had 12,000. And he had that many stables to take care of. And he had that many people to take care of. How much money do you want to waste? He could have been using that on his people. He could have been using it another way. You see some churches. Now, we want a nice looking building. Don't get me wrong. We want people to come and have a pleasant experience when they come here so that we can help them see that they need the Lord. But there are some churches that just do ornateness to where it's just all gawky. It's all, why? Are they really trying to honor and praise God? You come in and a man has on garments and he, he's all decked out and they, and they almost bow down to him as he goes down the aisle to get up to preach and stuff like that. Who are they honoring? Wouldn't our money be better spent? Oh, we got to have a building. Don't be wrong. That's what I said already. On missionaries or somewhere else? With the, with the needy? With, with the widows? With all kinds of things you can think of. But he didn't do that. And God told him not to. That's the most important thing. He had, he had 1,400 chariots. That's another war instrument, is not? Who's going to fight his war? Think of Gideon. We're going to talk about uh, the things of the book of Judges next week. Think of Gideon. Here was a guy that was just really a weasel in a lot of ways, really a weak man. God made him into a man, got him there progressively. He just kept wanting this big, he calls this big army together. They all get together, guys. Yeah, I got to get rid of all these people. There's too many. I'm sure Gideon was thinking, I, I, if I remember right, the number he was going to come up against was 185,000 enemy people that wanted to kill them. And he was probably thinking, God, I only got 45,000, whatever, yeah, 30, I can't remember the number. And he probably thinking, We're not, we don't have a chance that it is, and then you want to get rid of all these guys? He got it down to how many? God kept tearing it down to what? 300. Now, somebody's going to say, and they won the battle with 300. You're wrong. God won the battle. That's what we don't get right. And how did he do it? Think about it. It's like Jericho. You walk around once a day for six days, and on the seventh day you walk around, sometimes you shout, and the whole place falls down. Who would have thought that's possible? You know, all this ridiculous stuff, all the earthquake comes that time, or this or that or the other. No. God caused the walls to tumble down because they did it God's way. Until Achan came along and stole stuff, that really messed it up. They did it God's way. And when we think of this, we think of Gideon. What did they have? A jar, a jug, and a, and a candle in there. And their voices. That's all they had. How many of them was there against 185,000? 300. Wow. Do the math. What would the world say? You're an idiot, Gideon. Gideon, get out of there. Get lost. Go away. Do something else. Who won the battle? God did. 
All they were was obedient. They took and they broke the jugs when they were told to, and they surrounded them, just three of them now, in a big, big camp, 105,000. And they started yelling and screaming, and what did the enemy do? They woke up out of their sleep, couldn't figure out what was going on, started hacking each other to death, killed each other off, all of them. That's amazing. You couldn't have that happen again in a million years unless God wanted to happen. And yet we say, we know more than God does. Isn't that amazing when you stop and really think about it? We're smarter than God. That's what man said. And that's what Solomon is saying in the book of Ecclesiastes. I'm smarter than God. I'm going to try my own direction. He said, and then he comes up with the idea when he starts writing the book, well, now I've discovered vanity is vanity, all vanity. What's the second thing he says that most people would bring up that we find a little bit disturbing? What's the second saying that's in there in the book of Ecclesiastes without me giving the answer? There is nothing new under the sun. Somehow man thinks he comes up with new ideas all the time. Okay, so we invented a computer, so what? You say, well, that's pretty miraculous. What well, is a miraculous instrument if used right? If it's not pornography or this or that or the other. I mean, my son uses one. I, I don't use one. I'm kind of illiterate, but I, I do a little bit. But, you know, it's a great instrument to look up things. I'm sure Scotty does too for, for things that you teach on and stuff because it's instantaneous. I spend a lot of time actually thumbing through mm -hmm. a coordinates. My son will tell you I asked for one the other night. And, and that kind of stuff. It's a great tool. I just don't know how to use one. I'm probably <laughs> thankful in a way because I probably spend too much time in front of it anyway. I spend enough time in front of the TV and other things. I don't need I don't need a computer. Okay? So what, what's the point? What, what are we saying? He says it's all nothing new in the sun, it's all vanity because that's what he's learned. His life experience is too bad it spent his whole life learning that. But what is really neat about it is that he wrote it down for us. God inspired him to write it. The Holy Spirit was right there with him, directing him what to write. It's in his own words, it's in his own hand. But he was inspired by God to write it. So that what? We we have an example of what happens when you don't live for God and you live for self. When you're a multi-trillionaire and you waste your time and your money on things that you want instead of what God wants in your life. That's what the, the, the whole book of Ecclesiastes is all about. It's a textbook example of what happens when man thinks he knows more than God. When man thinks he has a better idea than God does. And where man thinks he's going to pull himself up by his own bootstraps. That's what it's all about. That's what that book is. And when you read it, sure, it's kind of depressing to start reading it. But that should be a key in our mind of saying, do I want to live like that? Do I want to end up like Solomon was? Now, there's good parts at the end of the book. We're going to read that in a minute. But there was one other thing that he kept saying all the time. Somebody know what the third saying was? I said in my heart. Solomon says many times in, in Ecclesiastes, I said in my heart. What is that familiar to since we're going to go to, in, in, to Judges next week? What did, what did they say in the time of Judges? Every man, every man did right in his own eyes. But it also says that the complete uh, one of that, let's, let's look at Judges uh, 21, 25 for a second. Because you need a more complete understanding of why they say that. See, sometimes we quote things and we don't say it all, at least enough of it, so we really know what's going on. I'm going to find it here in a second. Okay, here we go. What did I say? 20, 21, 25. 
Alright, it's Ian. My Bible's very used, so it's hard to get to some of the things. Okay. Judges 21 25 says, In those days there was no king in Israel. There was no king. Now, I don't want to let the cat out of the bag for next week, but I think I have to say it here so you understand. What type of government was Israel supposed to have? Who knows the right word, the, the word that the scholars would use? Steve Dean Potter would use it. You, what is it? Theocracy, is it not? What does Theo mean? God. It's a God-driven society and government. God. Well, what did, what did Israel do with God? They threw him out. What, what are we doing in the United States today? Can't be in classroom. Can't be in government buildings. Can't be anywhere, anywhere where anybody might get triggered. I have to have my little kitty cat go hide in the corner because you triggered me. It can't be anywhere. That's the biggest mistake that man can make is to throw God out of everything. But see, he's too smart to think that way. He thinks he knows everything. Now, I don't like to get too political. It's not the point, but it is kind of amusing to me. You think of this EV thing and these electric cars, and they're now they're just now beginning. You're starting to reach stuff where they're starting to say, no, maybe this wasn't a good idea. After we threw everything out the window, after we after we destroyed our economy, after we did all the stupid stuff, because man has a better idea. Now I'm not against electric cars, by the way. I think when done properly, it could be a great help to us mm -hmm. as a society. But just to get rid of everything we know because we think we're so smart. And this big lie about, you know, the green this and the green that. Now, true, man destroys the environment. I, I can't argue with that. But I'm not one of these wacko nuts that think the sky's falling every time somebody drives a car by me either. God says, and Pastor read it just this week in uh, First Chronicles, that, that, or maybe it's second, I won't remember, but God would heal our nation if we just turned to God. Yeah. Yep. God would make things right for us if we just turned to God. We don't want to turn to God. We want to do it ourselves. And all we do is continue to mess ourselves up. It's a progressive thing. Well, God told us in the very beginning that the world was going to wax and wax older and older, which means what? It gets worse and worse as it gets older and older. Why? Because man keeps tampering with everything. We allow God to do things right, and we have a wonderful life. You want peace? You know what? If you really want peace, you want God. Right? Man doesn't think he wants peace, so he says he does, but he really doesn't. What's going on in the Middle East right now? Yep. Can you imagine what people are thinking when they say they want to annihilate a, a population of people when it comes to the Jew? What kind of insanity is that? Well, you're not annihilating me, so it's okay. Oh, by the way, we're all inclusive, and we believe in allowing everybody to say anything you want, but don't you say anything that comes with it in mind that it's biblical or Christian. We don't want that. Yeah, really inclusive. I mean, they counterdict themselves on every basis they ever talk about. And then you wonder why they're tripping over their own feet all, all the time. All they do is make a mess out of everything they touch. Yeah. Now, it's true they do do some good things, obviously. God does allow, God says he allows the rain to rain on the just and the unjust. God will give his blessing even. God will, if you, the people that aren't truly saved, to follow the mores of the, the things that God writes down in Scripture, try to, even though I don't understand them. God blesses those people. Mm -hmm. They'd be far more blessed if you knew who Christ was. But you can you can still be blessed. God, God is no partial, doesn't take you in partiality of people. He says everybody in his side is equal. So the point is that we sometimes look at ourselves and think, oh, we, we have all the answers. We really don't. 
and we're not going to in the very near, very near future as well. Um, one of the points I put down in my notes was that human philosophy has always been and always will be a downfall of man. Trying to outsmart God is not a good policy. Now, when you when they say that little jargon with the little saying about we need to study history so we can learn from our mistake, that has got to be the biggest farce in the world. Mm -hmm. even, to even mouth that statement and try to make me believe you actually think that way is absurd. How long has life been going on? Well, I'm not sure. I can't tell you the exact amount of days, but eight or 10,000 years anyway, by what we know from Scripture at least. Okay. And, and I, out of that time, I think I've quoted this before for you, that, that I think that what I read, and somebody else did it, I didn't. I don't remember where I got it. You might correct me, you can probably go to the encyclopedia or someone to figure it out. There's only been 350 years of true peace in the world since the world was created, since man was, was created. 350 years. We're, we're in second 2000 century, right? What, what happened all those other years in between? We've been fighting and cutting our throats and killing each other. Just like they're doing in the Middle East right now, just like they're doing in Ukraine right now, just like we did in World War II, just like we did in World War I, just like we did in the Spanish American War. You, you just go on down the line. It's been that way since ever. But guess what? We're, we're getting better. Just give me a little bit more money, a little more time, a little more education. I say, I'll go with God says, just give me the word of God. And then, more important, well, not more important, but just as important as that, let me read it and understand it and let me obey it. That's a tough part for me. That's a tough part for you as a believer. It's being obedient to the word. Remember, you look at scripture, when it talks about faith, I, I, don't, I wouldn't say it's exactly equal, but it, it equates to what? Obedience. Hmm. What did Abraham do? He obeyed. What did Paul do when he finally got saved? He obeyed. God said, I give you three things to do. Go to kings, go to your own countrymen, and go to the Greeks. He did all that to the point where they would take his life. He had to run for his life. It was really funny when you go to the book of Acts and you read that, and you kind of contemplate what's in. I've said this before. First, he's the hunted. He's going to put everybody in jail. He's going to have everybody murdered that believes in the way of, of, of God. And then we find out what's going to happen. He's the one that's hunted. Well, we're running out of time. Before we do, turn with me to the end of Ecclesiastes for a minute. I ran out of time as usual. Doesn't surprise me one bit. Let's look at uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. This is what Solomon says the conclusion of all this is. And he says in uh, Ecclesiastes 12, 13 and 14, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Remember what I said about the whole matter? He's giving you all the stuff you need to know in Ecclesiastes. Here's what he sums up. He says, you need to fear God. Do we fear God? I think we do in this room. Most of us believe in fathers who fear God. Does mankind fear God? No, they make a mockery of God anymore. Sometimes if you, if you start talking to somebody about Christ, what do they do? They start swearing at you. They start swearing at God. They profane. You know, work sometimes somebody would swear and I'd say, praise God. And they used to get mad at me. And he said, well, if you didn't curse him, I can praise him. Yeah. Yeah, you know? Try that sometimes. See how it works. You'll find out real quick they quit doing that in front of you. And then he goes on and he says, fear God and his commandments. Do we do that? Do we keep his commandments? Do we love him enough to walk in the way that Christ walked? Well, I'm not a good example. I mean, I try to be. 
I stumble and fall myself. I haven't arrived. I don't think you have either. None of us are going to arrive until when? We get to heaven. Why? What does God eradicate? What does God get rid of when we get to heaaven? Sin. You know how hideous, how ugly, how vile sin is? It destroys everything. People say God's done it. God hasn't done that. Sin's done that. Notice again as you keep reading here, it says, For this is a whole duty of man. That's all we're supposed to be doing. Right? For God shall bring every work into judgment. Everything we do is going to be judged, all right? And every secret thing, so if you think you're hiding from God, it's not going to happen. Whether it be good or whether it be evil, it's going to be judged by God. Let's not forget that as believers. I'm really sorry I ran out of time. I looked once and I had about 20 minutes left. There goes I hope this has been purposeful for you. I hope that you understand the Ecclesiastes is a good book to read. Now, we didn't go through there and read a bunch of it. I understand that. Because I think it's important to get to the to the history of it, so that when we go to read it next time, we understand why we read, what the importance of it is. And even though it may seem like it's depressing to us, and it seems like a bunch of vanity to us, it is. It's Solomon saying, "I tried it my way. I had it all. Nobody's had any more than I had. It does not work. God is what works." Is what he says. Yeah. 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 But the question, I don't know, I'm kind of afraid. Can I give you an answer? Well, I, thought, I thought we were studying out of Leviticus. Oh, you did? And that's why I gave the answer. I oh, you did? Well, that's okay. <laughs> it's fine. I didn't hear that much of it anyway, remember? So. <laughs> <laughs> well, praise God, let's have a word of prayer. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for a good time. We're, we're kind of chuckling, Lord, but you know, it's a serious matter. The world needs to know Christ. He's the answer. We have that answer. We, we, we found out who he is and what he is. And we accept him for what he did for us on the cross, Lord. Help us to be doing that for others. Even our enemies we're supposed to love, Lord. We should give them the gospel. Lord, thank you for this good class attending us. We look forward to seeing you next week, Lord. Thank you for your love, your goodness. Be with pastors, you preachers later on for this. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, visit a little bit. Enjoy yourselves.